Hello, and welcome to Reporter Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Medin, and today we're discussing an article from a new online series called Consent on Campus. This is part one, What is Consent? Joining me today are Taylor Gothy. Hello. And Darcy Lane-Williams. Hello. Uh, Darcy is our director for the Center of Women and Gender, uh, and Taylor wrote this article. Taylor, to start us off, can you briefly describe the article? All right. So um, this article is part one of a series called Consent on Campus. Um, this series is going to center around not only topics of consent after the wake of the Me Too movement, but also some of the structures and resources students have when facing issues with consent and sexual assault on campus. Um, okay, so to start us off, what do you think are some of those biggest issues that students face on campus to both of you? Um, I'll let you go first, Taylor. Well, I think the biggest issue um, with consent is that most people do not know what consent is, and it's very disagreed upon, and it's often used as a weapon is, I believe I got consent, I don't believe you got consent, and and my goal for this part one of the series is to clearly define what consent is, so there's no questions, and we can move throughout the rest of the series talking about issues with it. Um, absolutely, I agree. Um, cosine, that is the biggest issue. Um, What's really sad to me is when you get a freshman who gets suspended and you know that the reason that they got suspended is they never intended to hurt anyone, but they assaulted someone and didn't realize that that's what they were doing. And so a lot of the education in the past has been geared towards yes means yes. And now that we, New York State um, is an affirmative consent state, we are now required to teach students about what consent means and I think that goes a long way okay so I guess just to get this out of the way can can you give us a concise definition a couple of sentences what people should understand is consent sure all right so I think I like do's and don'ts right um, I do well with do's and don'ts I think it's pretty clear-cut um, consent basically when someone consents to anything they're saying yes to something um, and sometimes people think an absence of a yes um, or absence of a no is a yes, and that is not the case. So when you're getting consent from someone, they have a clear understanding of what's going to happen, and they agree to it. That, that That's, like, really simple. Um, but the do's and don'ts are what help people. For example, you do tell someone everything you're going to do. You don't just start putting your hands places and to test the waters. Now, porn shows you that. People aren't saying much of anything. And lots of romantic movies just show people just going in for whatever. Um, but you need to have consent. So if I were to touch someone and they didn't want me to touch them, but I touched them to test the waters, I've already violated them. So I need to be asking hey, is it okay if I touch you here? Is it okay if I touch you there? And consent has limits, and it's time-limited, too. So if I tell you yesterday, hey, we're going to have sex tomorrow, and then tomorrow rolls around, I've changed my mind, yesterday doesn't matter. Yeah, and I think the biggest problem with students is, for one, most of their sex education will come from media, and media is a very um, sexualized <laughs> myth of what sex is actually like. And also 
people assume a lot when you're in a sexual encounter. You assume it's okay to kiss. It's just you assume it's okay to touch there. You assume you're gonna go at a certain pace, and people do not check in with their partner, and that's when a lot of violations can begin on that aspect. Yeah, absolutely. So, what do you think some of the greatest misconceptions people have, especially at RIT, about consent? Okay, so, um, I guess I would start with people that think consent on a text message is valid. So, for example, and this is what um, when I what I was talking about earlier this year, there are dating apps that didn't exist years ago, right? I'm old. There were no dating apps where you were sexting someone and telling them what you were going to do. So we've got a generation of people who are meeting another person, jumping into very, very um, intense sexual experiences by text. Um, These are people that have been exposed to pornography digitally their whole life. Um, And so it's, it's very different. And so if you learn from pornography and you never have any actual sexual education, um, legitimate sexual education. If you go into a situation with someone where they've detailed all these things that they're gonna do with you and people get keyboard courage and then they get in a room and things change. And things can change for any reason. People can just be like, yeah, I was horny yesterday, I'm not today. Or you were cuter in your pictures or you smell, whatever. And if they change their mind, they have the right to change their mind. And that's where the problem starts. There are people that think that if you've agreed to something, they need to get you back to a place of agreement. And that's where coercion often happens. Yeah. Um, It is important to remember that consent can be revoked at any time, at any point during a sexual encounter. That's right. And you have to have consent for each and every individual act. Um, And people say, well, it feels awkward. It's not very romantic to go blow by blow. But you need to go blow by blow to make sure that you're not violating your partner. And if you can't talk about sex in a mature fashion, you probably shouldn't be having sex. Um, So you just mentioned coercion. And in the article, uh, it describes a little bit the difference between coercion and persuasion. Um, Could you expand on that, please? Sure. Um, So if I persuade someone to do something, I'm going to make some arguments as to why it's a good idea, try to make them see it as beneficial, whatever it is, where it doesn't even have to be sex, um, and try to kind of, try to sway them to say, okay, yeah, maybe. Coercion is different. If you don't have fear, it's not coercion. And there are a lot of misconceptions about what coercion means. Coercion means you are pressuring me to do something. And I truly believe that there will be some negative thing that will occur if I don't comply with whatever it is you're asking me. So there's a fear to it um, that doesn't exist with persuasion. Persuasion is like, you know, oh, come on, I really like you, blah, blah, blah. Coercion is like, well, we're out in the middle of this field and you can't get back to campus unless you give me some head. Now, I don't have to come out and say that, but I can say, you know, there's a couple of things that need to occur and I'll drive you right back to campus. Now, I didn't threaten you and I didn't specifically say what you had to do or if you don't do this, I won't drive you back to campus. But you know I won't drive you back to campus. And so if you think you're going to be stranded and you're fearful of that, you might do something that you really don't want to do to get out of that situation. Yeah, and the important thing to remember about coercion is that there is that threat 
and doesn't necessarily have to be life-threatening, but it does have to be some fear of a consequence, and power dynamics are very important. Like if someone is your boss or if someone is a any level of authority, you can easily be coerced by them into doing something you actually don't want to do. Well, it sounds to me that persuasion, despite that you know lack of an element of fear, is still maybe inappropriate in a lot of cases. Not necessarily. Um, you know... I mean, we got to be realistic about how people communicate, right? Let's say that you are with a virgin, okay? And let's say the other person is sexually experienced. And the virgin says, I, I'm not really sure what I want to do. I just feel like I don't know a lot about what you're asking me about. And if the person says, oh, okay, I can put you at ease. Here's what I'm talking about. And if they detail what they want to do, and say, you know, I think I think this would be great. I think we'd have a lot of fun. What do you think? If the person says no, it should stop there. Persuasion is not persistent um, in that you just wear the person down. That's more where you're moving towards coercion because sometimes people um, feel like for whatever reason, it could be their own history. It could be um, the situation, the location. It could be any number of reasons that you may not even realize that the person feels um, like there will be some negative outcome if they do not do whatever it is you want to do. And this is how the media for a lot of ways has muddled up what proper persuasion and flirting is, where constant persistence will eventually means you get the girl. Movies like, um, not movies, TV shows like Family Matters with Steve Urkel and Big Bang Theory with um, Howard, and where you kind of persistently pursue someone who does not have interest until they finally wear them down and give in is how persuasion turns into harassment because if someone does not show any form of interest with you you're not flirting with them you're harassing them and you have to understand that when you're engaging with a flirtatious conversation you have to be conscious of how body language plays a role if someone is leaning in if someone is looking at you if someone seems comfortable within the situation continue flirting because they're into it but if they're not showing any physical signs not just verbal but physical signs that they're interested stop there because you're harassing that person mm-hmm. thank you for the clarification <clears throat> um but i want to switch gears a little bit uh and talk about why this is so relevant right now um for example with the me too movement um and and i want to ask how that comes into your work so My work is always a Me Too movement. Like every day is Me Too. Um, This is what we do. This is what we deal with all the time. And there are sexual assaults that occur on a regular basis every academic year. Um, RIT is very fortunate because our students feel more comfortable reporting, but every school has issues with reporting. Mm -hmm. Um, Society tends to blame victims. And so oftentimes people are afraid of the backlash of coming forward and reporting what's happening to them. What makes Me Too powerful is that you've got volume, you've got numbers, um, you've got celebrities, you've got famous people who people look up to. Um, The the assumption is that there is more credibility. So Me Too um, gives some solidarity to this thing. It's been a problem. Sexual assault, sexual harassment has been a problem as long as humanity has existed. But now people are saying, wait, maybe we shouldn't automatically try to find a way to blame these people who are coming forward with allegations. Maybe we need to listen. Maybe if 150 
gymnasts say someone touched them, maybe they actually did. It doesn't matter that he's a doctor. And so people want to separate the, they want, they can't separate the person from the behavior, right? So if I assault someone and then I go to class the next day and I'm a TA for a class and I'm great and the professor loves me, that doesn't mean I didn't rape someone last night. And so people have a hard time. And that's why I like approaches where you tell, you like give a scenario, Mm. you tell the person what happened and you don't identify the perpetrator. And then you identify the perpetrator because then people will say, oh my God, because they're not, they can't make that association because they don't know who it is. Yeah. And going off of what you said, um, the biggest problem when it comes to coming forward is people have an idea of what a rapist looks like (laughs) and what a victim looks like. Yeah. And if someone is kind and charismatic and has a family or dressed clean shaven, a lot of people will have a hard time associating a person they like as someone who's potentially a sexual assaulter. Similarly, whenever a victim comes forward, every piece of their life will be criticized publicly to decide if they are worthy to be a rape victim. Were they responsible for the rape if they were drinking or if they dressed promiscuously or anything such as that where it's much harder for a victim to get empathy for their assault than it is for the assaulter. Yeah, and and it's actually um, almost a, a protective, like, survival mechanism to take power back from something. So someone who has been assaulted may immediately try to find their responsibility um, because, okay, if I hadn't done this, this wouldn't have happened to me, to give them a sense of power. Um, It's very scary to say, you know, I didn't do anything wrong and this person did this to me and there's nothing to keep this from happening again. I mean, that's that's scary. So a lot of the things you guys were just talking about um, are symptoms of uh, a greater rape culture. Um, So for our listeners who may not have heard that term, could you briefly explain rape culture, please? Oh, boy. I know it's a big, <laughs> big I, a I big brief. Be here all night. Um, I guess I'll keep it simple. So rape culture is basically when I think about it and people have different definitions. Rape culture is a culture where we basically blame victims. Um, we tend not to believe people because we have a very you know, fixed idea of what a rapist looks like or what a rape looks like. And if you, um, you know, take anything outside of those, you know, uh, parameters that we set, people have a very hard time with it. Women are taught to be coy, um, to not want sex, but yet to be sexy, Um, to not be sexually aggressive because then you're a hoe, but not be frigid either. So it's really hard for people to understand what's expected of them and women have natural sexual desires just like men do Um, but men are socialized to be aggressive and be the you know one to pursue someone women often are seen in in a a negative light if they are sexually free um, if they enjoy sex in a in a way that men aren't judged and so a woman who's assaulted is automatically going to be judged for her behavior because she's a woman. And then people don't want to believe certain people would assault someone. And so they will try to find a way to make it something other than what it actually is. And we have pornography, which is a big problem. 
and print ads that sexualize everyone, even children. So yeah. it, it's everywhere. You've got sex everywhere. But the crazy thing is we don't talk about it. We don't educate people. It's like, hey, you're going to just grow up and know what to do. That's ridiculous. Like, it's crazy. Yeah, and I would say that rape culture is a symptom of toxic masculinity and patriarchy where it punishes women and objectifies them in the way that it makes it almost impossible to address sexual assault on a regular basis as a systematic problem within our society as opposed to individual basis. We always like to say that if someone hurts someone, it's because they're that's that one bad person, but not all men are like that or not all this. But we need to recognize that rape culture is a culture within our um within America and within the world actually. And until we address how misogyny and toxic masculinity plays on how we view women's bodies or how people feel entitled to sex or entitled to other people's um, sexualities, then we can't really address rape culture for what it is. Well, I know we're not going to fix sexism in the next couple of minutes, mm-hmm. but I do want to ask, what can you know I or our listeners do to change you know, toxic masculinity and the sexualization of women and, and, and try and correct the course? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. <laughs> so there are lots of things people can do. Matter of fact, there's something every single person can do. Yes, this is a huge issue, but every huge issue is solved one person at a time, you know, gathering together collectively. The first thing people need to do is be receptive to someone telling you their story. Um, Don't try to make it comfortable. Sexual assault is uncomfortable, especially when you're being assaulted. And so talking about it doesn't feel good for people. Now, there are students that call me the rape lady because I love talking about this because I don't think we're going to make any progress without it so students can students faculty staff community members people can be informed educate yourself understand that what an acquaintance rape looks like understand that law and order SVU is television just like porn is not real and so people need to understand what an actual assault looks like they need to be able to understand definitions they need to know the difference between sexual assault and rape and know that sexual assault is an umbrella term that includes anything from forcible touching to penetration and rape and so I think education is huge Um, and if you don't get the education you need in school as a person who's gonna eventually grow up to have sex I mean most people you should educate yourself I think it's part of healthy sexuality and becoming an adult it's it's a healthy part of people's lives but it's definitely a, a risky a risky area um, and so education is the number one thing um, that people people need to redefine what's been ingrained in them um, and that takes effort so people have to want to know different all right. Thank you so much. Unfortunately, we're now out of time. Um, so before I sign off, just want to ask all of our listeners to follow us on social media. Um, you can find this article soon at reporter.rit.edu. Follow us at Reporter Mag on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat. And as usual, don't forget to call or text rings with your crazy 2 a.m. ideas. The number is 585-672-4840. If it's cool or clever, you might get featured in the magazine. Thanks for listening.